This is a five-part uh, sermon, but uh, it'll be a combination of explanation that I will give, the reading of scripture by one of our elders, and then the singing of a hymn. So we will let the scriptures preach as well as the hymnody of the church. And as Curtin mentioned, our children's church will be dismissed after the, during the singing of A Mighty Fortress is Our God. But every year we set aside a Sunday to focus on the Protestant uh, Reformation, just to reflect upon what God did in that period of time and what he continues to do uh, today. Our church and our denomination are heirs of this great uh, movement of God in church history, God working through men like Huss and Luther and Calvin and Knox, just to name a few to spark a fire that reformed the true church to the scriptures. And that reformation continues uh, today. One of the mottos of the reformation that is a motto that should be very close and dear to our hearts is this reformed and always reforming. But it's important to understand that we're always reforming to the scriptures. The reformer Martin Luther stood there is a diet of worms. In 1521, the Holy Roman Empire was, had charged him as a heretic and was asking him once again to recant of those heretical doctrines that we believe are clearly represented in the scriptures. And this is what Luther said as he stood there charged with heresy because he believed the scriptures. He said this, Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant of anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. The Reformation is understood as a rediscovery of the true biblical doctrines of the Bible, a rediscovery of the gospel message. And that message may be summarized in what we know today as the five solas of the Reformation. That when we consider the question, how is someone saved? How is someone redeemed? How, how is someone made new and given new spiritual life? We would answer, an individual is redeemed or saved according to the scriptures alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, and for the glory of God alone. And our liturgy today is, as you will see, uh, printed there in your bulletin, just simply helps us walk through these biblical doctrines that are summarized in each of the five solas of the Reformation. And our goal today is that we would see the need to not only be reformed, but always reforming to the word of God. And our first sola is solus Christus. What is the authority today? Sadly, so many view authority subjectively. That is, being man-centered. 
Authority is what I determine it to be. Our conviction, like that of the Reformers, is that the Bible is the only infallible rule of faith and practice. The Word of God is objective revelation. The Word of God is transcendent truth. The Bible is inerrant and infallible in every way we take that to refer to the original autographs. It is verbally inspired. It's plenary inspired. The whole of it is true. And the Apostle Paul said this in this very familiar passage of Scripture in 2 Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. We must uncompromisingly dedicate ourselves to the word of God being the authority. John Huss, who is known as the, the Czech reformer, was born in 1385. He became rector and preacher at Bethlehem Chapel in Prague. He was influenced greatly by the writings of John Wycliffe, who was known as the, the morning star of the Reformation. And Hush took up Wycliffe's cause, championing the authority of the scriptures. Huss serves as a profound example to me, and I would say to all of us, an example of fidelity to the Bible, even when our life is on the line. In 1412, he wrote these words when he was in prison in Constance. I have said that I would not for a chapel full of gold recede from the truth. I know that the truth stands and is mighty forever and abides eternally with whom there is no respect of persons. Huss was condemned as a heretic by the Council of Constance. He was sentenced to death by being burned at the stake, and he was so burned July 6, 1415. And as he was taken to the execution place known as the Devil's Place, he was asked to recant one last time before the fire was started, and this is what he said. God is my witness that the evidence against me is false. I have never thought nor preached except with one intention of winning men, if possible, from their sins in the truth of the gospel. I have written of this truth, taught this truth, and preached this truth, and today I will gladly die for this truth. Let us recommit ourselves to the sole authority of faith and practice being the scriptures that we would seek to be reformed more and more according to the scriptures. I want to ask the elder to please come forward now as he leads us. Solo Scripturae. We'll be reading from Psalms 119, starting in verse 89 through 112. <clears throat> Let's hear the God's word. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. 
By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. If your I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, <clears throat> for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey in my, to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray for your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. And then 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And then also 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. <clears throat> Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Martin Luther, the great reformer, believed that, that Christ was, was not discovered or found in any mystical experience or even through the church councils, but Christ is found in the scriptures themselves. And if you take your hymnal and turn to hymn number 92, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, you'll find in that fourth stanza, Luther referring to the word of God enduring forever, the enduring quality of God's truth. Let us stand and sing this wonderful hymn of the church as we reflect upon the scriptures alone.
You may be seated. Solus Christus. The Bible teaches that sinners are saved according to the scriptures alone and in Christ alone. The medieval Roman church taught that one was justified by believing in Jesus and adding to it good works. This was a repeat of the the false gospel that is that was put forth in the Galatian church, the one that the Apostle Paul condemned. Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, rebuked the Judaizers who taught this false gospel that demanded faith in Christ plus additional works of the law. The truth of Scripture is simply this. Salvation is based on the merits of Christ alone and nothing else. Now stop and think about that for a moment. You will be in heaven solely upon the merits of Christ. Does that not excite you? Does that not encourage you? Does that not cause you to seek after Jesus more? Paul states this in the the book of Galatians. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And brothers and sisters, the yoke of slavery is that we will not get into heaven unless we add some of our performance to Christ. That's a yoke of slavery. But thanks be to God, that's not the gospel That's a false gospel. The gospel is Jesus saves and he alone saves to the uttermost. In Colossians, it's a very brief phrase that Paul uses that is so precious. And here it is. But Christ is all and in all. He's all we need. The reformer John Calvin as he reflects upon Colossians 3 and verse 11, says this, If we seek salvation, we are taught by the name of Jesus that it is in him. If we seek redemption, it will be found in his sufferings, absolution in his condemnation, remission of the curse in his cross, satisfaction in his sacrifice, purification in his blood, newness of life and immortality in his resurrection, protection, security, abundance and enjoyment in the judicial authority committed to him. Christ is the beginning, middle and end. Nothing is or can be found apart from him. And Calvin says this, let us draw from his treasury and form no No other source. Let us live according to the scriptures alone and in and on the merits of Christ alone.
For Solus Christus, please open with me in the Pew Bible to page 602. This is Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. Let's read the word of the Lord. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. Our second reading is page 991 in the Pew Bible. This is 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. And finally, from page 974, we read Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Thanks be to God. Point to Jesus, and if you would take your bulletin and turn to page four, you'll find a a hymn that points to Jesus in a beautiful way, in Christ alone. Let us stand. Oh, 
teaches that sinners are saved according to the scriptures alone in Christ alone and now thirdly by grace alone. Jerry Bridges who wrote a wonderful book Transforming Grace defines grace in this way. God's free and unmerited favor shown to guilty sinners who deserve only judgment. It is the love of God shown to the unlovely. It is God reaching downward to people who are in rebellion against him. The first verse of the scripture passage that will be read in just a few moments from Isaiah says this, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come and buy and eat. And that just sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? He who has no money, come and buy and eat. Well, that's grace. 
And it's not ridiculous. It's precious. Those who have no money come. It's not a matter of having money. It's not a matter of having enough. It's coming with nothing. It's coming with all of our demerits. It's coming empty-handed. But do we really come empty-handed? We come with sin. We come with brokenness. It's coming with, with all of that that should cast us away from God. And yet, he says, come. And we come and we find all that we need in him. Is that not marvelous? No wonder it's called marvelous grace because it truly is. Bridges makes another observation when he says, what the Bible teaches, we are not only saved by grace, but we also live by grace every day of our lives. And I take what Bridges says and I have recrafted it in this way. We are saved by grace. We are being saved by grace and we will be saved by grace. Let us consider the words of the reformer John Calvin on his deathbed. I give thanks to God who had mercy on me. I embrace the mercy that he has exercised towards me through Jesus Christ, atoning for my sins with the merits of his death and passion, that in this way he might satisfy for all my offenses and faults and blot them from his remembrance. I trust to no other security for my salvation than this alone, that as God is the Father of mercy, and we would add grace, so he will show himself such Father to me who acknowledge myself to be a miserable sinner. And I take these words that Calvin spoke on his deathbed to just be full of grace, an understanding of God's grace. I think we see permeating not only these words on his deathbed, but throughout his life and throughout his teachings, this, this theme of God's grace. It is that wonderful grace of God through Christ Jesus that permeated Calvin's life. And may that same wonderful grace of God through Christ Jesus permeate every sphere of our lives today. Let us recommit ourselves to living according to the scriptures alone, on the merits of Christ alone, and by grace alone. Sola gratia, Isaiah chapter 55, we'll read verses 1 through 3. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? in your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. And now let's turn 
to <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once lived in, the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The hymn, And Can It Be, really explores uh, this, this question. We could rephrase the title, And Can It Be, to How Can It Be? How can it be that... I remain such a sinner and get into heaven. Well, grace answers that question. And the hymn, this beloved hymn of the church, and can it be, is immersed with this truth that God is merciful and gracious to sinners. If you would take your hymnal, turn to hymn number 455, let us stand and sing, and can it be.
may be seated. Thus far, we've considered the biblical teaching that's reflected in the five solas of the Reformation, that sinners are saved according to the Scriptures alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, and now we'll turn to through or by faith alone. Luther called faith the chief article on which the church stands or falls. Faith is a gift. It was read earlier in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Faith is an instrument or a means through which we are justified, adopted, sanctified, through which we receive all of the blessings of the covenant of grace, a means, an instrument, a conduit through which we receive all that God has for us. In the New Testament, when we see that phrase translated by faith, it never, never means because I believe, but through belief, through the gift of faith. In the wonderful prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesian church, we, we see this understanding of faith very clearly. Listen to this prayer. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. So how are we strengthened with power through the Spirit in our inner being? Paul tells us in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Faith is the instrument, the means through which the Spirit strengthens us in the love of Christ. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Martin Luther, who in the early 1500s was an Augustinian monk, was so very, very troubled by the biblical teaching on the righteousness of God. And he understood rightly that it was only a perfect righteousness that will get one into heaven. And he understood that he did not have a perfect righteousness in and of himself. He said this, I kept the rule, meaning the rules associated with being a monk, so strictly that I may say that if, if ever a monk got to heaven by his sheer monkery, it was I. If I had kept on any longer, I should have killed myself with vigils, prayers, reading, and other works. And the more Luther did to somehow attain this perfect righteousness, the more overwhelmed he became that there was no way he could possibly meet God's standard of a perfect righteousness to get into heaven. In 1515, he was reflecting upon Romans 1, 16 and 17, and he had what historians call an evangelical awakening. He was reading this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Apostle Paul. For it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Luther discovered that it is through faith, through receiving, 
through the perfect righteousness of Christ being imputed to him through the instrumentality of faith, he would be able to stand before God justified. And that's true for all who are in Christ. And let us live according to the scriptures alone. In the merits of Christ alone, by grace alone, and through faith alone. Sola fide, through faith alone. Genesis fifteen six. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And our next passage from the New Testament, Romans three twenty one through 26. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And our last passage is from Galatians 3, 20 through 21. Now a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. It is the law, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law has been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. If you would turn in your bulletin uh, to the hymn, Jesus, I Come, you will remain seated as we sing this hymn that describes faith. Jesus. 
come to the fifth sola of the Reformation. Sinners are saved according to the scriptures alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, all for the glory of God alone. Here's a little test that you can use. If man gets too much credit for salvation, it is likely wrong because God gets all the credit for salvation. We have a part to play, but it's in response to what he does. It's in response to his effectual calling. All that he has ordained in saving sinners, all that he has established in gathering his people from the nations and building the church is for his glory. Many of you know this story, but the great composer J.S. Bach, who lived 1685 to 1750, said this, all music should have no other end and aim than the glory of God and the soul's refreshment. Where this is not remembered, there is no real music, but only a devilish hubbub. Bach would put in the heading of his work, JJ, Jesus Juba, meaning Jesus help me. And he would end his work, as many of you know, SDG, Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. And it's interesting that I think Bach teaches us something here about living the Christian life. That at the beginning, it's a matter of faith, isn't it? We say, God, help me. God, help me. That in every aspect of my life, in every purpose that I have, in every word that I speak, in every action that I take, in every endeavor to which I am engaged. Help me, Jesus, to do it all for your glory. We eat, we drink, everything we do for the glory of God. Let us live according to the scriptures. Let us rest on the merits of Christ. Let us understand that it is by grace alone and through faith alone that we are saved. And let all that we do be for God's glory. Soli Deo Gloria. First passage comes from Psalm 24, a Psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. 
Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. The New Testament, Romans chapter 11, verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The word of the Lord. A former pastor at the Bible Church of Little Rock wrote a Reformation hymn, and you'll find that printed uh, in your bulletin. It's to the tune, Rejoice Ye Pure in Heart. We'll conclude our service today with the singing of this hymn, Let Us Stand, Reformation Hymn.
Now receive the benediction, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.